You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to this week's Attacking Scrum podcast. Thank you very much indeed for downloading. And what a week of news it's been. Everything from the Rugby World Cup groups being announced, uh, which was today as we record it. Uh, I've had residency rule changes and all sorts of comings and goings within domestic rugby as well. So what we've done tonight is we're going to split the podcast into two halves. The first of which is dedicated to international news. So the Wales squad announcements and Um, and the Rugby World Cup draw, residency rule and all that will be covered in the first half and in the second half we will be looking at domestic rugby so everything that's been happening with Newport RFC, uh, WRU taking over at the the Cardiff Blues in this babysitting capacity and then also looking ahead to, uh, or looking back rather, at some of the the Welsh derbies from, uh, from the weekend. And uh, joining me to do so is uh, is Dan Killick, as always. Dan, how are you? Rather weary. This Thank is you. it. I mean, this is the ultimate big news of all, really, isn't it, Dan? Becoming a father for the second time? Yeah, second time round. This, um, what am I, halfway through a Peroni now, and I'm starting to feel a little bit... Uh, a little bit sleepy. That's so it. If I nod off, give me a kick. It's good to know that someone is being bottle fed then, and it's uh, it's <laughs> you being half half bottle of Peroni. Yeah, no, it's been a good few days. And uh, and Dabs with us as well, having hot footed back from France. Bonsoir, boys. Bonsoir. Uh, yeah, ça va? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> how was that? How was your trip away? Glorious. Yeah, I was off social media for a couple of days. You know, enjoying. Uh, Enjoying the relaxing central France, but um, logged back on yesterday, and lo and behold, a load of rugby news. So excited to talk about it. Well, this is yeah, we've got uh, yes, absolutely, um, plenty of stuff to come from, and uh, two new additions to the uh, to the Attack and Scrum podcast as well, which are Dan's dogs, Farley and Woody, who are currently snoozing, which I'm yeah. quite jealous of. They may well chirp up at some point if yeah. someone comes to the door. But, uh, yeah, two little uh, brown short-haired dachshunds. <laughs> so yeah, we've we've taken the show uh, on the road again just to accommodate for Dan's paternity leave, which 
I think just goes to show what a um, you know what, what kind of an employer we are if we were paying you anything for this but of course we're not so we'll start with the squad announcement and that was named on Tuesday and plenty of surprises in there so we will be dissecting that very very shortly but earlier on I caught up with the mighty Murph to catch his take on that and also on the Rugby World Cup groups Right, after a bit of a, a bit of an absence, it uh, gives me great pleasure to welcome the Mighty Murph back to the attacking scrum. How are you doing, Murph? Hello, Jared. Okay. I'm, yeah. um, I feel like I'm back from injury or something. Yeah, that's it. We're, we're nursing you nursing you back gently, or <laughs> perhaps not, given uh, given how much how much rugby news has been this week. Yeah, loads, loads of news. Everything's going on. That's exactly right. Yeah. So. I'd, Rather than, uh, rather than get your take on everything, there's a couple of things we wanted to hone in on. And the first is, uh, is the squad announcement, really. So what have you made of uh, the squad announcement to tour, um, well, New Zealand, but to play Tonga and, uh, <laughs> Tonga and Samoa? Um, well, it was yesterday morning now, wasn't it? There's mm-hmm. so much going on. It's difficult to keep track because obviously we've had the pool, World Cup pool announcements as well this morning. Um, well, my first uh, reaction um, was... I, well, there's a lot of it going on on Twitter as well. Uh, some people have missed out. Um, James Davis is probably the most high-profile. I initially just assumed he was injured, but he's not, is he? No, he's fit. Um, well, I mean, so, he is he is injured, but it wouldn't be. Yeah, he is currently, but he, w- he would be fit for the. So for there's, for the you know, tour, there's talk. Yeah. That, you know, I'm fairly certain he'll be fit for the semi for the semi-final. So you know, if he'd have played another game of top-flight rugby and potentially two games, if they were to make the final, you know. You'd, He'd certainly be fit enough to tour and to go on, you know, on a development tour. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that, uh, that there's been uproar in certain quarters with uh, James Davies missing out. But who would they? Because there's three three open sides on a on a two-game tour. Yeah. And who would they replace? It? I'm guessing Ollie Griffiths, is it? I, 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 I would I would imagine I would imagine so. I mean, you have to take mm. you have to take um, Thomas Young based on his based on his current form. Ellis Jenkins yeah. has been playing very well, and I know obviously he's rated very highly in the camp. Um, so, yeah, I suppose I, I, this I, would be the Yeah, one. I'm a fan of Ellis Jenkins. I, I would have him over Thomas Jones myself, but that's just my own preference. How much? Like, I, like I, I said to you before, but, uh, I don't know if it was on air or not, but. It was. <laughs> uh, I was there about Tom Young. If, if, Tom, uh, if playing in the WASP team, it's like a little bit like playing for Real Madrid, and if you're in rugby terms, and if you put. Uh, Justin Tipperick in that side, mm. you'd just be you'd, be, you'd just be untouchable. I, that's what I, the way I interpret it anyway. So he just he just gets all the best opportunities. That's why he stands out so much. Uh, like, I, and I, I, were you sure it was on air? <laughs> well, you're on like, air. You're on air now. You're on air now, Murph. So well, I'm just saying, give him a fortnight on the Dragons, and then give him a fortnight play with the Dragons, and then see how good Tom Young did. That's all I would say. Well, yeah, uh, that's a, it's a good point, but I think we're all we're all keen to see um, to see how he goes. Because, like I, yeah, I think, like I said to you, either on air or off air, the flip side of that <laughs> is that the wasps can afford to have pretty much any open side they want, and you know if they wanted to, um, if they wanted to bring yeah. in a superstar open side, and you know presumably if they yeah, wanted well, to bring well, they, well, they, did. They, could. They, they did really. They had George Smith, mm. and that it was when he was playing with George Smith, like Thomas Young seemed to flourish. Um, so we got, I, mean, I don't know if you can learn that much in a short space of time, but it was that was kind of, to me that was the catalyst from going from just about scraping into the side to now being uh, first choice and uh, getting an international call-up. So, um, anyway, open sides aside, um, the other thing that stood out to me was 
um, there's only one specialist fullback in the squad. Yeah. So, I mean, Dan Evans has missed out, and I'm, I, I'm assuming it's his age. I don't know. I don't know what they... Thing, um, thing to me, it seems like Dan Evans and James Davis, there is something that the the Gatland management team, in this case McBride, it just seems as though they, they just do not fit the mould of, of what they're trying to do there. Um, yeah. Because on form, you know, both players have to be there. Yeah, and I, well, there's another one who not everyone else, well, hardly anyone else is calling for to be picked. But I, I still can't understand why he doesn't get any recognition. Is uh, Dan Baker number eight at the Ospreys? Um, uh, James King is the only number eight on the tour, if I'm not mistaken. I, I think Navidi's uh, uh, going as well, isn't he? Well, okay, so yeah, okay, he's a. Who's <laughs> essentially player, another open side? Can play everywhere, yeah. yeah. But at international level, you wouldn't consider Josh Navidi to be a number eight. He can do a job, you know, for the region. But anyway, uh, I don't, I don't cons- personally consider James King to be an out-and-out number eight no. either. Like a uh, Darren Baker, is, there's only one position he's going to play. And I know there's, there's a, it always comes up about his work rate outside of you know carrying the ball and everything else. His work rate on the pitch, but I don't, I don't see James King or well many other players doing that much either in the squad. So. Like I, he, I think King's, to me, King's to work me, rate does, is great. Um, I don't know, I just feel like Baker's just kind of stalled a little bit um, since kind of yeah, well, getting the, the, the MDC. He hasn't really quite kicked on for me. No, but I just think he's a big burly bastard, which is why you want a number eight. And he does what he says on the team. He, he puts people on, on, their, on their ass regularly uh, when he's playing well anyway. Uh, I mean, it's difficult to judge him on recent games of the Ospreys because the whole side's been all over the place. Uh, early season, you know, he was flattening people, and you know, what, what I'm getting at, I think, is no one asked Nick Williams to do anything else apart from put yeah. people on their ass. So yeah. why is Dan Baker treated? I know he's not as big as Nick Williams, obviously, but it, to me, he, he is outside of the, the two boys that are in the squad, which is the first team squad, which is Falatau and Ross Moriarty. He's, a, he's the second best number eight in the country, and he should be involved in the story, in my, my opinion. So. It's, uh, it's, no, it's an interesting point. I, I just think uh, press conferences would be a lot more interesting if, 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 you, would, if you were conducting them, Murph. I think uh, expressing <laughs> well, that I mean... big, big, big burly bastard and getting the players' names wrong, I think, would, uh, would make it, would make it <laughs> compulsive viewing. Well, I mean, it, that's what it, it's the trend now is Billy Vunapola, uh, Nick Williams, and that type of number eight. And what other way is there to describe them? <laughs> some big burly passes you know exactly what you didn't want to play against when you're younger I agree um, with, yeah. um, with that in mind though I suppose this tour is, is a development tour isn't it really chance to, mm. a chance to get a look at um, some players ahead of the next World Cup we've now seen the or certainly the, the likely pool that we're going to get what were, you, uh, what were your kind of feelings when you, when you saw we'd, uh, we'd, uh, the, the draw that we'd ended up in um, well, uh, I guess like most World Cups, apart from the last one, you, as a Welsh fan, you'd say it could have been worse. Mm. Actually, in the last World Cup, it couldn't have been worse because <laughs> we were in the group of death, obviously. But uh, uh, the group of death this time is um, England, France and uh, Argentina, Argentina yeah. which, you know, on current form, England is still going to get through that group. So you're going to have a top-ranked team either France and Argentina not get through to the later stages. So that's why it's a group of death. Uh, Wales is. I mean, um, Australia is like, um, a, you know, playing more often than we do 
any other country, it seems yeah. like, at the moment. Um, so there's nothing to fear there, although we, <laughs> nothing to fear, although we never seem to although beat them. Although we never them. seem to beat them. Although, yeah. you know, and, that, that, that'll, that'll uh, continue now, won't it? We will be, we'll be playing them every single year, a minimum of once in the lead-up. Yeah, and then in World Cup year twice. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, there's nothing, I mean, uh, and then the next ranked team then is Georgia, so we've got a flight lead. It could have been a lot worse. And yeah. uh, obviously, it's probably going to be Fiji coming through from the Oceania One group. But um, again, you know, they're not. I think in recent years, our front five has been together enough to stave them off, whereas it wasn't in 2007 under Gareth Jenkins, and that's why we that's why we got found out. It's amazing, though. I think it's four World Cups in a row that we've that we've been drawn with Fiji. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I can, yeah. That, obviously there's there is still that one kind of. Um, that one bad memory of the the nightmare in Nantes, but I don't know. Mm. Whenever you see whenever you see Fiji kind of coming through, I think, oh god, not again. Can we not have someone else this time? But uh, yeah, yeah, I think, I think well, you're right. more often than not, we do tend to get the better of them. Yeah, and I mean, it, coming up against Fiji regularly it just shows all the small pool of top class teams that are in in rugby union to choose from, mm. and that's why I guess going to Japan is a good idea, and we should be going to America at some stage. I don't know if that's confirmed or. But we should. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the other thing is though, that if you were to look at the last Rugby World Cup, the you know what would have been the minnows getting 150 points put on them um, 15, 20 years ago, they're not. They're not as um, they're much more competitive than they were than they were before. Yeah. And I oh, think yeah. I think Georgia, are, you know, a, a kind of testament to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they won't be easy to beat, but it, I mean. <laughs> we should have enough, let's be honest. Yeah, I suppose if yeah, if any um, if any side uh, or if any Northern Hemisphere side is going to slip up against uh, Georgia, given our <laughs> given our World Cup history, I suppose it probably would be us. But in theory, yeah. in theory, it looks like a great a great pool because you've got kind of a tough a tough match in Georgia that will um, that will keep keep the troops battle hardened. But then you've you've also got what is or should be a winnable game against Australia, you'd hope, in uh, you know, in two and a half years' time. Yeah, I mean, it's the uh, classic situation is New Zealand or someone, one of the top teams coming onto their pool undercooked because they've stuffed everyone by, you know, 50, 40, 56 points. Mm-hmm. And um, we're probably not going to be in that situation with Georgia because they're dogged, you know, and they're, they're not... Struggling for well, Gogods is retiring from international rugby, yeah. so that's a massive <laughs> uh, letdown for them. Um, and um, and then Fiji, we're not going to stuff assuming it's Fiji or Samoa or whatever. Yeah, uh, we're not going to stuff them either. So we should come out of the group having had three at least three tough games, and um, that's all you need. Yeah, I think so. But I mean, Wales have to be targeting top in that group, don't they? So, sorry, I missed that. Wales have to target top in the group, surely. You know, this this isn't one where, like, kind of... Yeah. Where in 2015, I think, I, I felt getting out of the group was a great result. This time round, you, you've got to look at that and think there is a real opportunity to win it. To win the group, yeah. that is. Yeah, I, I mean... The tide's, got, the tide's got to turn with Australia eventually, I guess. Mm. But, I mean, yeah, you got... I mean, again... They genuinely could beat Australia. And, I mean, well, I, I don't want to sound like a bit of Welsh fan, but I am, and that's all, so that's the way it comes out. But with the set of backs, I was I was at them for the uh, Wales-Australia game in 2015 World Cup. With the set yeah. of backs, he'd have won that game. And it was sounds like classic, or oh, if, if this, you know, if my, what was it? 
my uncle had a boobs, he'd be my auntie or something exactly. saying like that, uh, which we always come up with. And, you know, if I, I, the other one I like saying when I've had a few drinks is if Johnny Sexton was Welsh, we'd have won the World Cup in 2011. But yeah, this, yeah. this one, this <laughs> one in 2015 is a, is a real situation where if less of our backs had been laid up, you know, Reese Webb, the Halfpenny, uh, the centres were injured as well, Jonathan Davis has gone, all sorts of players are missing. With with a two man advantage when they were down to thirteen men, we would have scored some points and then we'd have won that game and been up against Scotland in the quarter final. So we, you know, although we've played poorly against them since the World Cup, actually we 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 blew it through injuries in that in that World Cup. But you know, what can you do? <clears throat> considering considering the, the, what was missing, we did okay. Yeah, no, I think we did, and and obviously it's. Uh... It feels it feels like a lifetime ago now, but um, before you know it, the, uh, the the next World Cup will be upon us, and hopefully we'll have uh, we'll have managed to to at least get one victory over Australia during that time, seeing as we play them every fortnight. Yeah, and uh, fingers crossed, I've nearly everyone fit. Yeah, fingers crossed, Murph. Um, that pretty <laughs> much brings us uh, brings us to a conclusion again for uh, for another week, and uh, we'll look forward to having a chat with you next week. Cheers, Dad. See you again. Cheers, mate. So that was the thoughts of the mighty Murph, catching up with him after a uh, two-week hiatus for various reasons. Squad then, Dan, I'm going to get your take on it. I, I know this is, um, I think, probably the main thing that you'd have picked out of the conversation with Murph there is, was kind of Dan Baker at eight. I know you've, you've got some fairly, you know, you formed an, a fairly strong opinion of Dan Baker, haven't you? Well, yeah, he's great going, great going forward, isn't he? But um, you don't see too much of him when in a, in a tough game going backwards and so he just he's, he wouldn't be he's, he wouldn't be there for me he's got a he's got a long way to go before um before he can slot in as an international eight in my opinion um yeah he's got to do got to do a lot more on the park yeah i mentioned it in an interview there that i think he has he's stalled a bit his progression has his kind of still since he's kind of had his breakthrough season and the national dual contract and stuff I don't feel like he's kicked on to that next level like you said about becoming a, a, a top quality world you know an international level number eight what's your take on it Dad? I think when you look at the balance the Welsh back row when, when Gatlin's not usually in charge um, there's a huge work rate coming from the number eight jersey Valatel you know always puts in a hell of a shift and it's no and it's you know to I'm not a big fan of him, but James King comes in quite often to to replace Falatau at eight. And whilst you know he may not be the most dynamic, he does get through a hell of a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And I think Baker, you know, probably does a lot of the glamorous stuff, but I pro- he probably doesn't have a high enough work rate for me around the park, and that's probably why he's been dropped. What about as a as a Blues fan again, as as Murph kind of mentioned, you know, it's it's quite on vogue to pick a a Billy Vanapola or a, you know Nick Williams, who you'd have seen a, a fair amount of this season is it a position where you can get away with that or at international level does your work you know does that work rate preclude him from from being at that table at the moment well I think you've got to go horses for courses don't you and think about who we're playing you're not gonna sort of swat off those Pacific (laughs) Islanders easily and actually if you look at our strengths in the back row we've got a lot of dynamic uh, very quick very fit sevens and sixes in Wales at the moment so I think actually if you look at our strength um, across the back across the back row really playing to that um, I'd far rather see a utility back row player like Navidi or um, Thomas Young in this eight jersey opposed to someone like Baker who just doesn't have the uh, 
the fitness to go down there? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. Obviously, we're, we're fortunate enough to be joined by the Josh Navidi fan club, which, which Dan Killick founded a couple of years ago. I, I have to say, I, I like Navidi as a player. I, th- I think he's, uh, you know, he's one of those players that leaves everything out there, which is something, you know, if we're talking about work rate, again, I don't think you could accuse Navidi of, of not getting through his fair share of work. Oh yeah, his work rate's incredible. He doesn't. He rarely has a bad. He rarely has a bad game at all. I think he plays really, really well. But he is. He's probably. He's probably a club player, isn't he? Really, internationals probably a little bit a little bit above him. But he's going. He covers anywhere in the back row. Won't let us down. And I think he'll he'll probably tour pretty well because he'll slot in on the bench, won't he? Would you rather see him at eight than than James King again? If we were doing the the luxury of us picking the side, would you rather see Navidi over King? No, I'd have James King. I mean, he he gets a lot of a lot of heat for he does a huge amount that when you study when you study him, he makes he makes hard yards. Um, his work rate is great. Good tackles, good lines. He's he's a very very smart player. You need to be smart at eight. You've got there's a lot more to just ball carrying. Um, he'd probably you know if he could pack on the pounds, it'd be he'd he'd almost be. You know, he'd be a real force then, but uh, no, I'd have him at eight. Yeah, he's a player I remember, what would it have been, three, four, maybe even five years ago when he started playing for the Ospreys regularly and thinking, do you know what, actually, he gets he gets an awful lot. And that, in, those, in those days, he was playing either second row or on the blind side. And I still think he, he looks like mm. a blind side flanker to me. I just yeah. don't feel like you get that go forward with him. Yeah, you don't. If you, look at his, if you look at the number of mistakes he makes, he makes per game, there's next to none. He doesn't make mistakes, and at eight on a you know on a tour like this, when we've got loads of youngsters, mm. we're going to be making errors left, right, and centre, probably and understandably because of the there's going to be an, you know we're not going to have the combinations. Um, somebody like King will just bring that assurance and bind that, that, that we're going to need. But if Navidi comes on, he won't let anyone down. You've got to think about what the role of these tours are as well, and you know think back to the England team that won the World Cup in two thousand and three. Yeah. They used the tour two years out when they went to North America to blood some new talent. People like Josh Lucy came in for the first time. Um, you know they had like Lewis Moody, Martin Corey, etc., all playing in that tour. And if you think about whatever it, amounted to them, well, yeah. exactly. And if you think about you think about where Wales are, and obviously the draws just happened for two thousand and nineteen. Is Navidi really going to be the guy who takes us into the World Cup? Probably not. King, the Welsh management seemed to like him, so he probably does need another run in that jersey because he's, you know, he will play an important role, especially in the group stage against some of the smaller teams. I agree with you, Dav, but at the same time, I also, I, I think you're probably right that Navidi isn't the guy to see us through to to the next Rugby World Cup but I also think if you're rewarding form, you are encouraging players to push themselves on the club scene to the best of their abilities and that in itself could unearth another talent I just think you have to be kind of seen to be rewarding on a tour like this in particular where we're not playing a New Zealand or someone that you know or a Six Nations game I do think that there is the opportunity to to do yeah. that the, also the fact that you know what you're going to get for him because we got, we're going to have such a young back line is, is gone is gone in his favour and he's had, he's had a good good season well sticking with the back row I think it's fair to say the player who it's caused the most amount of social media interaction. I imagine your Twitter feed was full of this when you finally logged on again, Dav. Is uh, is James Davis not going? Yeah, he he's very very unlucky not to go. I mean, um, 
McBride, didn't he, came out and everyone's clinging on to his... Uh, McBride saying that he wasn't consistent enough. He couldn't have been any more consistent, could he? He got man of the match after man of the match. His stats were just off the, off the charts. But... He plays. He's an out and out seven, isn't he? So he doesn't play any any of the other positions. Um, I disagree. I I think it's one where, you know, again, two years ago or three years ago, Navidi was an out and out seven, and he did a bit as six because you had Warbs in that on the side when he was when he was fit. I think this is the perfect tour to be having a look at someone like James Davis and going, has he got the skill set to fill in at, at six or eight? I just think he's such a brilliant footballer he's great over the ball he's really good in attack he plays what's in front of him have a look and see if he can do any of those other roles I think I think he could do a job at yeah, eight for me though you, you, if we're going to try that we have to try that at a club level for me he's an out and out seven I can't see him in a six, a six. I can't see him at eight um, and for that reason that's probably why he's missed out the consistency thing is just a filler in the conversation I think he, um, but he's unlucky not to go as a seven I think um, it's, it's a rare luxury in Wales that we have depth in the position where we can afford to leave someone who other teams would probably play at home and I think if you look at it Thomas Young is the form guy in the Aviva Premiership this year I think we're all staggered he didn't play more in the Six Nations Ellis Jenkins has been the, the standout performer for me for the post Six Nations Pro 12 games mm. he's been excellent he goes at seven and I think then it was between James Davis and Ollie Griffiths and for whatever reason, they've gone for Ollie Griffiths ahead think, of James Davis. I think it's because because Ollie Davis can play six. Ollie Davis. Ollie, <laughs> sorry, that beer's gone down now. Um, <laughs> Ollie Griffiths can play can play six, can't he, or seven? And James hasn't hasn't really played. He hasn't. But I also six, think that the Thomas Young can play six. I yeah. think Ellis Jenkins can play six. I think this whole thing, you know, I don't think if you're an out and out six, I don't think you can afford to put an out-and-out six at seven in this day and age. You need a proper fetcher in that back row. If you've got a couple of fetchers, as you've seen with Hooper and Pocock, it can, and, and in fact with, with Warburton and Tipperick, both are yeah. sevens by trade. I think you can do that. I think Ellis Jenkins plays perfectly well at six. I think he's a really good six. He'll win you plenty of ball and he'll get through loads of donkey work as well. So, I don't know, I just think... I, it's an absurd position that we're in, the amount of open sides. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? We got, we, we're blessed in the back row, and it's flip of a coin stuff, isn't it? He's missed out, but I, I can only, I'm putting it down to the fact that he, he doesn't, he doesn't become, he's not playing six. Is it, fl- seven. is it flip of a coin though, Dab, or is it a question of the face or the character not fitting? I think it's a massive case of the fact of his attitude. I think Gatlin's got a very clear sort of disciplinary standard and in, in the past where we've been short in positions like nine, he's forgiven people like Mike Phillips and letting them back in the fold. But when we've got such depth at seven, why take the risk? He, you know, Ollie Griffiths is apparently the heir incumbent to Sam Warburton when he finally goes. And actually, you know, why not give him the experience down there? And if they're worried about James Davis being too much of a character, then why bother taking the risk? It's interesting. I just don't know how much of a risk it is on a development tour. I think you find that firsthand on these things. Ollie Griffiths, for the record, is a fantastic seven. He is absolutely brilliant. Ellis Jenkins, I think we've seen some really good form from. I think, again, he's a brilliant seven who can, who can play six. I'm really excited to see what Thomas Young can do. But the thing is, I just think James Davis is different to all of those players because of what he offers in attack. And, and you know, it's not like you lose anything with him over the ball. I just I would just love to see him get an opportunity within that. I would as well. I, I rate him enormously. And um, I, 
it's just a real shame that he's not coming. I also think <laughs> the the romanticism in me has come racing to the surface again because I just want to see players that excite me and I I get excited watching watching James Davis play. You know, we sit here and try and pick sides, but I'm not a selector, am I? I you know, I'm a, I'm a fan. I want to see I want to see an exciting player out there. I well, want to see him perform. And the, the only other thing to bear in mind is the guy's had an incredibly long season. Mm. You know, he was training all our summer for the Olympics, yeah. played the Olympics. He had a little bit of time off and he came back, had a fantastic bit of form for the Scarlets, sort of November, December time, came through, then had this ban. But, you know, the guy basically hasn't had a holiday or a break for almost two years. So maybe they're doing him a bit of a favour to let yeah. him go away, have a full pre-season not have to travel all the way down there for what is your right of development tour and be fresh for next season. So there is maybe a bit of um, humanity in the selection as well. What yeah. we haven't mentioned as well is he is injured currently. I know he'll be, yeah. he'll be okay, but he is injured. So, you know, there's that in there as well. Yeah, it's a, that's a fair point. You know, I, I don't think that's played any role in it whatsoever, to be honest. But again, who am I, who am I to question? His time will come, though, and he will. I know the other boys will come back and then he'll be right down the pecking order again but I'm certain we'll see him in a red shirt at some point well I'm sure uh, Wayne Pivak is is pretty pleased if no one else because at least he'll get a a summer off like you said Dav aside from that anyone else you think is unlucky to to not get on the tour yeah a number of people actually oh, go on then um, first one on the team big Aaron Shingler Dav's laughing but he is a good good player I think 29 years of old he still offers something totally different 6-6 six, six. Big chap, big lump, hard, you know, good nitty, gritty uh, back row player, good line out option. I think that he offers something very, very different, as we mentioned, James Davis does as well. But he is, he's someone that could do a job. And we're also going out there with a small back row. It's, you know, he, he's, he's, he's a big, big man. And uh, we quite often need height and weight, don't you? especially when we look at our second row, which I'm sure we'll go on to. Dav, you're a tour. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not the biggest Aaron Shingler fan. And I think, for me, he's been on enough tours now where there was the games in South Africa where, to be fair, he played well. But he's been in amongst the Welsh squad enough for them to have seen enough of him. So, given it is a tour to try and develop for 2019, I think he's had his time and, unfortunately, he wasn't good enough. I, I, you're looking at me as if I'm the casting vote on this, which of course, <laughs> which of course I'm not. I hold, going head, going, going I hold no, I hold no power. You're looking at this then as if where do I go from here? Which, do, which, uh, which side of the table are you leaning? Well, towards? I would much rather pick a fight with you, Killick, than Dav, being a dirty front rower that he is. Uh, yet, I think on this one, I, I like Aaron Shingler. I do think he's. I, if we go back to that point of offering something different, you're right. He's got sheer size in what is a back row of. You know, relatively small size that we've picked. Great line-out option. He's brilliant defensively, and I think he's had a fantastic season. And he's a great athlete. I'd have been, I'd have taken him on a tour like this as well. He is, he is pacey. Scored six tries this season. He would definitely bag a few over there, and he's still got time to to he could he could could well feature in the, in the next World Cup. But again, this yeah. the, anyone away from the back row though, because I, I, obviously yeah. I think we could sit here and say. That there's back rows in every single region who could who could sit there and you'd say they wouldn't let you yeah. down in that. You know, yeah. we haven't mentioned Cracknell and, and players yeah, like that. Crack, so. Cracknell's on the list here. Yeah. I mean, Patchell for me. Um, you know, Patchell at 10, he offers something different to Sam Davis. I've said that about a million times. <laughs> Sam Davis and Anscombe. Um, 
Dad, you mentioned in the past, haven't you? But Anska may be losing it a little bit when when the games get tight. These games probably aren't going to be that tight. But if he loses his head and you say that uh, for that matter, Sanders as well. Um, I don't think these games are going to be a walkover, are they? No, but they'll be they'll be they'll probably be free flowing. So they'll probably be his his type of games you'd expect. You know, probably the pair of them could come out looking looking very very good. But Patchell, I I think he's unlucky not to be there. And at fifteen as well, he he's he's a he slotted in at 15, didn't he, over New Zealand, and we all thought he looked pretty sharp. So I mean, Dan, we, we can't afford an A-side, let alone Pat Shill's factor 30. It's not fair to take yeah, him down that's... there. I think, in all, in all seriousness, he was one of the standout players last summer. I um, thought he was terrific. He was terrific. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, he probably sees himself more as a 10 than a fullback, and the move from the Blues, ironically, may have hurt him, but... The, the flip side is, given the nature of the tour, it might be a last chance saloon for someone like Anscombe. And if he doesn't come through the tour having managed the game well, then maybe he rotates out and someone like Patrick comes in in the autumn. Do you think he'll be disappointed? Not to, you know, do you think he, th- he thought he'd be there, Patrick? Uh, yeah, I think he probably... I thought he had a... I think he would have thought that he had a damn good chance of being there. Bearing in mind he was starting full-back in a yeah. test match against New Zealand last summer. He looked, he looked, he looked as if he played there quite a few times at international level, didn't he? Mm. He looked totally... He looked easy. comfortable, I thought. Yeah. You know, certainly, as a lot of the players yeah. did for the opening 50 minutes they or were, so. They were free-flowing games, weren't they, which they'll probably be over there. So I, it's a bit of a funny, a funny call, that. But, I mean, looking at it, if he doesn't go, there's only really two fullback options on yeah. paper. You've either got... Um, Anscombe playing at fullback, yeah, or Ron Williams, Williams. Yeah. and I mean Williams has been for me. He could be the find of the tour. Yeah, he's played really well for the Blues. He's a really intelligent runner, really good rugby player. Um, I think they're putting a lot of pressure on his shoulders. So let's hope he comes through. It's yeah, it's a massive amount of of, of, of uh, pressure on him, isn't it? Mm. Coming in at fifteen, I mean, he has played very very well for the Blues, and he looks as if he's the complete player. He's got everything to his game, but. Good grief! Or if he picks up an injury, you know, Anscombe then has to slot in there. He's not. He's not. He's not a solid fifteen, is he? So, yeah, let's see what happens. It's true. Can you not call someone back from the Lions? <laughs> you know, get half penny, nip yeah. over, and, and yeah. do a job. Um, I do, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I suppose Owen Williams, in theory, could do a job at fullback. Could he? I don't know if that's a, if that's an option. I completely made that up. Yeah, he? I think he's played a bit of a, a bit of fifteen. Is that made up? Could be. It sounds, it sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's 15, <laughs> fifteen again. Though it's if you if you you know you can be pulled around all over the park, and uh, I'm not going to mention the p word, but I will positionally. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Should we move on? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Move on. All right. Fair enough. Um, Jamie Roberts as skipper. That's the other big news, really, out of this. Let's start with you on this one, Dav. I mean, I think when you look at the team that we're potentially going to play, you know, we've been guilty in the past on Friday nights in the Millennium Stadium, roof shut, of basically throwing 15, kids, changes, 15 yeah. kids in, Nicky Robinson slots a late drop goal and everyone goes home pretty, pretty unhappy. I think the way you look at this squad, actually, we're giving the players who are coming in the best chance of having a decent run. You know, we've got a relatively... We've got a settled front row and front row replacements... We've got a couple of locks who've been there and done it for us before. And I think in the centres, if you play Jamie Roberts and Scott Williams, whilst you're denying Owen Williams a run, actually there's that consistency for the guys inside and out of them to shine. So 
I think there were, there, people talked about Scott Williams being a candidate, but I think we all feel that if there's an injury in the Lions, he'd be one of the first call-ups. Mm. And so, for me, I'd have gone Ellis Jenkins. I, I 100% agree with that. That would have been my choice. But I think Jamie Roberts, given 91 caps or whatever, and probably the fact he won't go on the Lions if called up, feel, you know, not if called up, he won't get called up. Mm. I think it feels probably safer, but I think if you're developing future talent, Ellis Jenkins and me would probably be my, op- my, my choice. I'm delighted that Jamie Roberts is captain. He would be my choice. Um, Ennis Jenkins, the skipper, will we'll, we'll take control of the forwards. And I think with the back line that we've got going, he's going to be very, very young. And he'll just take complete control of that, which he probably would have done if he wasn't captain. But I think it'll be a big thing for him personally as well. Because, you know, with that Twitter, with all the, the leaks coming out of him potentially going, he thought he was going, didn't he? By, by, uh, I think he thought he was going anyway. That's got to hurt a bit, hasn't it, it, it regardless of whether you're yeah. a, professional, a professional or not? It has. I think it's a smart move. It'll probably give him a lift, and he'll really, really, I, I believe, enjoy being captain of Wales. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with it. I do think he'll bounce back. I, I think this could be, you know, again, we talk about players who prob- probably need a bit of a summer off. I think Jamie Roberts is probably someone who could benefit from a summer off. But at the same time, I think this could be a good opportunity for him to stake his claim Getting back in a in a Wales jersey, he, he made an impact when he came on for Wales, didn't he? In, in, in the games he did, he did some mm. some, some critical tackles, and I, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think I don't think I think you pick Jamie Roberts or you don't pick him. I don't think I don't see him as a bench player personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you, but he but he was there, and when he did come on, I thought he did pretty well. I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if we see him in a Lions shirt. I wouldn't I wouldn't be at all surprised. We'll have to wait and see, won't we? <laughs> um, we will indeed. So I suppose that anything else from from that squad that that you think is a that you think is anything surprising in there or anyone you're particularly looking forward to seeing? I another omission for me is Lloyd Williams. He's a passing nine. Um, everyone knows. Ups the tempo. I'm a big I'm a big fan of his. I think he's he's hit real form. Um, and we're a little bit shaky at nine. I think Gareth Davis, we've all agreed, has had a ropey season. Yeah, he played well. You know, in the in the derby on the weekend, but. Um, you know Thomas Williams. Then he's he's he looks to be, you know, he's, he's an exciting player, isn't he? And that that try that wasn't a try was brilliant. Mm. Um, but I would have had him over Alid probably. Um, I don't I don't think either of the Scarlet scrum halves who've gone have been the Scarlet's best nine this season. And Haverfield as well. I think Haverfield. Yeah, I think uh, this is the tour to be taking Haverfield for me. I I would again. You know what you're going to get from Gareth Davis which at his best is a really good attacking option and someone who's always going to be a try threat I think to a certain extent you know what you're going to get with Ali Davis as well mm. so I would have been tempted to take I, I think I'd have rewarded Lloyd on form because he's struggled for large parts this season and in the last six eight weeks has has Looked played really, really well yeah. and, and like you say has out and out service he's also a captain he's also a captain as well so at nine with the back row being new um and nine being such a sort of pivotal position, I just yeah, I would have liked to have seen him there. I mean, I, th- I hear what you're saying, but I think at nine, the one thing we've seen time and time and time and time again against the Southern Hemisphere sides from the Pacific is that they run out of steam pretty quick mm. around six, sort of 50, 60 minutes. And the thing I think about Gareth Davis and Thomas Williams, which Lloyd doesn't have, is they are sort of snipey scrum halves on the fringes. Yeah. They do they can inject a lot more tempo than Lloyd can. Lloyd's great, safe pair of hands, great kicking game. But actually, I think 
what Gareth Davis when he's on form and what Thomas Williams looks like he can potentially do is they can change the game, but they can also keep that tempo going and start tiring out the big forwards down there. So I think hopefully that's what we'll see. Because we've taken three scrum halves, he, for me, should be should be one of the three, do you think? Well, it's only so often you can, you can carry um, Webb or Davis's tackle bags. You know, it must be pretty boring life for Lloyd Williams and the squad where all he's doing is yeah. being the opposition and opportunity for someone else to hold the tackle bag. I'd have started, you know, I personally would have started him at nine. I'd have gone out and gone, this is a, this is a good chance because I think he's in good form. For Wales, he's tended to play his best rugby off the bench, actually. He's not really had a game. when On those odd occasions he has started, he's not played particularly well. I'd have taken him out there and started him. And then I, I completely agree with what you're saying there, Dav. I'd have had probably Thomas Williams off the bench Yeah, I would have to inject that, that, try, that try-scoring threat and sniping. I would have started him as well, especially the combo. If you're going with him, then you, 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 pop, you, you probably got Anscombe. Anscombe, Anscombe a 10. It's a nice 9-10 combo in a back row that's new. Yeah, I think we missed a trick there. Indeed, yeah. Well, we'll... Uh, I'm sure there'll be there'll be plenty more uh, permutations to come with that squad. So yeah. we haven't mentioned mine. I've got, got a lot of heat. It's Dan Evans. We've got to speak. We've got to have a quick chat about him, surely. Yeah, we have. Obviously, I mentioned mentioned it quickly with with Murph in the same breath. I just think that they've they've kind of they're not interested in Dan Evans at all, are they? No. I think, and he is a wonderful club player, and would arguably be the first name on my team sheet of players I wish still played for the Dragons. Well, in the backs, Toby, Toby would be, Toby would be top of that list. He'd but, be up there, though, wouldn't he? He's got to be. But he's a brilliant player. Every, he is. every club he's played, that has been incredible. And but he is a club player, isn't he? Do you know exactly. what? I at some point, I, I don't know. I just think when the international game is becoming so robotic, a player like Dan Evans, who genuinely has great rugby intelligence, runs brilliant lines, does what a fullback should do. You know, he's not a converted winger playing fullback. He is a proper. Genuinely intelligent fullback, you know. I think there is, I think he has been overlooked at certain points, mm. but he's, you know, I guess he's coming towards the coming the to latter end. stages. And if you're looking at this as a as a World Cup development tour, then he's probably not not featured for that reason. Yeah, agreed. Right with the with the Rugby World Cup in mind, then let's have a look at the other big news or some of the other big news from this week, and that's the uh, the Rugby World Cup pool draw which happened today as we record it. So that was Wednesday. Um, I'm just going to quickly recap on that. So Pool A mm. is Ireland, Scotland, Japan, the hosts. And then it will be a, a European qualifier, so either Russia or Romania, and then um, a playoff team in that group. Pool B is New Zealand, South Africa, Italy, uh, Africa qualifier, which is more than likely going to be Namibia. And then the <laughs> the repechage, which just... That, that in itself just reminds me of like Olympic hockey mm-hmm. and things like that. There's, there's no room for a term like that in rugby, but that's probably going to be Tonga. And then Pool C is England, France, Argentina, the American um, American top qualifiers, which would probably be the USA, and then Samoa potentially mm-hmm. in that as well, which that's a, that's a, pretty, uh, a pretty tough group considering that what happened in 2015. And then most importantly... The Pool D, which is where Wales are, which is Australia, Wales, Georgia, and then the Oceania qualifier, which will more than likely be Fiji, and probably Canada joining them as well. Initial thoughts, Dav? I mean, aside from Pool A, I think it's probably the best we can have hoped for. 
and you know we've beaten all the other teams mm. in that group and if you look at Australia they definitely papered over the cracks last World Cup by changing their rule where anyone over 60 caps yeah. could somehow magically now play for Australia I think if you look at them in two years time they haven't got a lot of talent coming through the Super Rugby teams are struggling yes they always turn up on the big occasion but I've just got a feeling that if we are all fully fit we can beat Australia when it counts and so I feel like it's a pretty good draw for us, given what else we could have had instead. I agree. As I mentioned with Murph earlier on, we're playing Australia virtually every fortnight until <clears> until that World Cup as well. So the tide has to turn at some point with being Australia. And, you know, I, I don't care if we lose every, every game against them until the World Cup, but... It is a out of, out of all the Southern Hemisphere nations. Well, out of, sorry, out of all the, the the top seeds out of that, I don't think Australia are, are necessarily anything to fear at the moment. Anyway, yeah, it's a good it's a good group. I mean, Australia they're they're so so difficult to they're so difficult to beat, aren't they? Even when you you, know, you think you're coming up against a poor Australia, they're they're just they've got a knack of winning, haven't they? So it'll be it'll be tricky, but we've got to be pleased with that one, haven't we? Mm. Yeah, I think so. what else is out there. And I think just did a bit of a uh, a bit of a draw scenario earlier on oh, to, look, to look at it. So if have we you, have you got a, an imaginary wall chart out already? Imaginary wall chart is out already. Started to brand it this afternoon. Um, but assuming the World Cup flows post the post groups as it did last time, so i.e. groups uh, the, for argument's sake, the winner of Group A plays the runner up of Group B, and yeah. so on. I think what you're looking at... That's how it worked last time, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, looking at this, on one side of the bracket, you're, the winner of Group A is likely to be Ireland, mm-hmm. play, take you on the runner-up of Pool B, South Africa, or maybe Italy. Then they will play in the semi-final the winner of Group D, which would be either Wales or Australia, hopefully, versus the runner-up from England's group, which is either France or Argentina. So, basically, Wales could have... A, if Wales won their group, we could have a semi-final against either Ireland or South Africa I think we'd feel more comfortable on that because if we come second in our group you're looking at that side of the bracket we'd play England in the quarter final and if we won that we would then go on to play New Zealand in the semi um, and then probably Australia or Ireland again so it just you know previously we talked about just getting out of the group Actually, first time it's a decent stab at this. We're not the type of team who can beat a top four nation two weeks running. No. So actually what we're going to need to do is beat Australia early in the group and then hopefully get a favourable draw through to the semis when anything can happen. But yeah, it makes it imperative if they follow the same structure as last time to win the group. It does really, doesn't it? It almost turns that game against Australia into a knockout game. Yeah. You know, it's almost like a seven style thing where... <laughs> You go into the bowl if you lose that game. You know you're playing for you're playing for pride. Yeah, and they are they are beatable, aren't they? Well, certainly at the moment, I think exactly like like Dav said, they put to pull together a very good side by breaking the emergency glass and, and calling back the likes of Gitto and um and I think that helped them at the last World Cup and they played very well. You know we had our opportunities mm-hmm. to beat them and didn't, but this time round. I've not seen a huge amount of them to suggest that they're that they're unbeatable. You know, I know England are a very good side, but England 
you know, beat them comprehensively, you know, whitewash them in their own backyard. And there's there's big problems in Australian rugby, you know, at a club level and at a participation yeah. level. They just turn up though in those tournaments, don't they? They're mm. always, you know, there or thereabouts the final, aren't they? And so it's going to be a bloody big game, but yeah, one must. We don't have to fear it, do we? No. And I mean, a couple of exciting games for me. I think the most exciting group is Group A, you know, Ireland, mm. Scotland, Japan, probably Russia or Romania and the playoff team. So that's probably Tonga. So that's a group that's wide open. Obviously, yeah, Ireland, Ireland would fancy that. Yeah. But you can totally see Japan at home turning over Scotland, for instance. And so Japan then looking at a quarter final against New Zealand. Similarly, but Scotland could do a, could do a job on, on Ireland. Yeah, so that's a really exciting group. And the yeah. other one for me, based on the autumn this year and the continued demise of South African rugby, mm. Italy must be thinking this is probably our best chance ever. Ironically, with two rugby championship yeah. sides in their group, of getting out of the group. For me, I think Conor O'Shea will be looking at that game and yeah. targeting every game that they play now is building up to that game against South Africa mm. because they have a massive chance of getting out of there. Bear in mind, they've beaten them already under his, under his tenure mm. and it's not as if that Italy side is anything special at the moment. I think you're going to see a lot of South Africans re-emerge from Japan and France over the next mm. couple of years yeah. because... That group, I mean, if they come second out of that group, ironically, they actually have a nice pathway to the final. We have Ireland in the quarters, probably Oz or Wales in the semi. You know, South Africa do have a... If they get their act yeah. together... I wish they will, won't they? Have a, have a route in, but they are at rock bottom right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting, Dan. They'll be, they'll be happy with that group. I think they'll get it sorted by then. And... I'm not sure. I'm not sure they will. Sure, yeah. I, I think the well, one sorted, the, if you be better. Yeah, but also if you're worse, if you're second, if you're second seed, yeah. what's the one team you don't want to draw? You do not want to draw New Zealand. Mm. Yeah, I think they'd be happier against Australia, England, or Ireland. You yeah. know, who wouldn't? The only advantage, I guess, playing as a tournament is if you get New Zealand in the group, you don't have to play them again until the final. Yeah, yeah. that is true. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's what I mean. I it. don't know. I think at the moment, though, I don't think many South Africans would be looking at this thinking, oh, great, New Zealand in the final. I think they've got a hell of a lot of work to be yeah. doing before. Yeah. I mean, I mean, on South Africa, if they pick, if they pick sensibly, mm. not like they have been doing, then they are, they, they will beat Italy. You know, even, even, even with the current, the current side they bloody put out fairly recently. But, yeah. Italy with their one-eyed fly half. Is it? Yeah, it's an astonishing story, really, isn't it? It's incredible, it? Yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, you know, a player kind of thrown on the scrap heap as is able to come back, and, you know, that that really would be the most remarkable of turnarounds. I'm saying that because I can't remember his name. No, can I? Should we move on? Yeah, let's move quickly <laughs> on. Right. In fact, it leads me seamlessly on, if I'd have looked at my notes, Dav, to the next item on our agenda, which is the residency rule. Mm. There you go. How about that? So the residency rule is set to change in 2020, and it's something we've mentioned on this podcast a few times. And it's going to extend from having to live in a country for three years, moving up to five years in order to play via a, a residency qualification. Dan, I'm guessing you're, you're probably of the same opinion that I am that you think this is a, a step in the right direction. Yeah, I think it is three years. Just three years comes about too quickly doesn't it so five years yeah just well, it's one contract it's one World Cup cycle it's half your career yes two yeah five years is, is, is the right call I think it's, it's sort of a middle ground so yeah pleased with that as you say we did a we did a pod on it mm. fairly recently so yeah 
But it's not coming in for a little while, is it? It's not. Yeah. But I, I, I love the irony in the English press that everyone talks about New Zealand yeah. all of a sudden stop poaching the Fiji, <laughs> Tonga and Samoan players. Yeah. You know, the, the poll at last World Cup, the majority of the Samoan and Fijian players were born in New Zealand and actually were going back to their country mm. of their parents' ancestry rather than actually playing for New Zealand. So... I think, you know, the teams that who are probably set to be hurt by this most... It's Ireland and Scotland. Ireland, Scotland, yeah. England, and France, actually, more recently. France, yeah. so, yeah, I mean, England, England will not suffer because their player base is too big for it to suffer, right? And they're under 20s who perform astonishingly. Quality of your week in a little bit. I don't, think England, I don't think England are worried. I don't think England are worried at all. I think Scotland and Ireland, this will pose a short-term problem for them. It will do. I mean, England... It will hit them though. They won't be. They won't be massively worried. It'll, it'll greatly affect the other chap, you know, Scotland and and the likes. But I think England, it will have a little effect on them. But not. I, I think the pl- I think the player base is too big for England to worry mm. about it that much. Ireland and Scotland. But if it if it does mean that they stop looking at this kind of project player yeah, scenario and put the money instead into into encouraging youngsters to go and play grassroots rugby and bring it through the, the exciting thing about Scotland side for me is not WP Nell or Strauss or those players the exciting players in there are the Hogs and the Finn Russells and obviously Greg Laidlaw and, you know I, I think it's great to see some of that homegrown talent coming through and I think they're the players that young Scottish rugby fans will be watching going, yeah, that's who I want to emulate. Totally, but I think if you look at the length, the strength and depth, strength and depth at Leinster this year, I think Ireland has started to address some of these issues. A couple yeah. of years ago, they got Strauss and at Hooker, etc. Yeah. But if you look across the park now, the Irish provinces are looking like they've got quite a lot of depth. So actually, I think it is Scotland who are the ones who are going yeah. to struggle and they do have a smaller base of players to pick from. So... Yeah, Scotland they'll be worried about. I think Ireland, you know, you only have to look at our, your favourite second row at the Scarlets, Dan, who had to leave the country to try mm. and find a contract somewhere. You know, I think there's enough talent in Ireland now yeah. to get, make them OK. What about the impact on Wales then? Do we think this is something that's going to affect the national side? Not enormously. I mean, it'll affect, it'll affect everyone to a degree, won't it? But... Because it does affect everyone, I think it's it's not going to have a massive effect. I'm just trying to think of the players. Who are the players who've come in? Because Jake Ball was one, was he? Or did he have a grandmother? No, Jake Ball's mother. I don't think it's grandmother. I think Jake Ball's mother's Welsh, I think. Yeah, it was either grandmother or mother. So most of our players have come through through or lived here for years. Like George North, for instance, lived in North Wales. Yeah, exactly. We don't have that many projects. There's lots of of Welsh players who were born outside of Wales. Foxy was born in was born in England. Dan Lydiate was born in England, but they've all grown up in Wales. Yeah, and you know, and even Toby came over at a very, uh, very young age. Yeah, and you know, his rugby education has, has been largely in Wales. Yeah. So I, I don't think it does. I think it's more the kind of when you look at the the Halaholos and Nick and McNichols. Who, I don't know whether it's just spurious Wales online headlines going, oh yeah, I'd love to play for Wales. It's those kind of players that you do not like to feed. And that's exactly what I think and Hadley Parks, but that's exactly what I don't wanna I don't wanna see. As yeah. much as I think Hadley Parks is a brilliant rugby player. He could do it. He doesn't yeah, he doesn't wanna he doesn't wanna play for Wales, does he? It's a second choice. And it's not a second choice. It's it's that kind of careerism yeah. well, that bothers me. It is a hard one, isn't it? Because you don't we don't we don't you know, we don't necessarily know. Some of them may no, feel they come over and they play you know, they play they've had three years over here, they absolutely love it, they buy into the culture and 
they just they then feel you know, they then feel well absolutely then feel absolutely it, it's 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 individual that, that it? I, have, I have absolutely no problem with mm. At all, because but then they can just it's another two, another two years. It's what, so. Yeah. Well, well, but I think, true. but people like Rainier Bernardo, who's yeah. just been released by the Scarlets this week, having been released by the Ospreys last year, turned up from South Africa a couple of years ago, saying, "I'll play for Wales," and I mean, it hasn't worked out for him. So, if it stops that sort of behaviour, I think it'd be better for everyone. I do that stopgap thing of thinking, "All oh, right, well, we can have a we can have a South African or a New Zealand prop," just because we haven't got anyone in there at the moment. And actually seeing someone who's come through the system, that's that's a much more encouraging story. That's isn't the it? biggest issue, isn't it? That it stops it stops play our own or every everyone's own players coming through. There can't be anything more demoralising than you know if you feel as if you're getting you know you're quite quite close to getting to the to the highest flight, and then uh, you know some some player comes, some project player comes over and takes you takes yeah. your spot. I mean, it's an absolute kick. You, you know, you worked your nuts off. God knows how many years, and then it's been taken away from you. It's yeah. not really right, that is it? No, I don't, I don't think it is. I think it's a bit of a shame that it's going to happen in twenty twenty. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it sooner, but nonetheless, a definite step in the right direction, and I think a pretty positive reflection on the IRB's new or the World Rugby's mm-hmm. kind of head honchos and Gus Pichot and the like. I think they've done. You know, I think it's a, yeah. a big kind of statement to make. Right, last thing then to, to finish on, and, and kind of rather unfortunately, it's, it's sadly it's sad news. You know, you would have thought I'd be over the moon at Greg Laidlaw making it into the Lions squad, but my God, it's come off the back of an in, incredibly sad story, and that is um, Ben Young's pulling out of the squad in support of his, his brother Tom, whose who's, um, wife is, is terminally ill. I mean, it's a really, really insanely sad story uh, and, a, and a very very you know sad thing for, for Ben Youngs to end his, his season on in a, in a Lions year it's it's um, yeah it's kind of shocking really isn't it yeah it's very very sad um, and also a difficult one for uh, for probably Greg you know as well yeah you I think wanna, it is yeah. you know, does he you know, does he celebrate you know how does he you know, he's there, isn't he? But it's a, it's a tricky, tricky position for him really to be in as well. But obviously, you know, that's by the by. You know, your your, th- your thoughts go out and to the Youngs family. Um, yeah, and it does put everything put everything into perspective, doesn't it? Absolutely. And yeah, when I heard it on on Saturday night, that was the first thing that I thought of was this puts everything else into perspective. And we you know we get kind of tied up in in rugby news, and it's great because you know it's it's a sport we love and stuff. But it's um, just an in, incredibly sad story, and uh, and obviously for you know for what it's worth, our thoughts are with um, are with the Youngs family at uh, such a, a horrible time. So unfortunately, that's a you know rather um, a rather low note to end the first half of the podcast on. We've got loads more coming up in um, in the second half, which will be um, which will be dedicated to uh, domestic rugby. So we'll speak to you very very shortly. Podcast Network.